Buying a new car is a pretty big deal for most people and it is hard to get high quality independent advice. Most of the automotive media out there is bent over by bad commercial incentives, the need to appease advertisers essentially. If you don't want to blow it, meaning if you don't want to buy the wrong car or get bent over buying the right car, it's time for you to understand the top 10 mistakes I routinely see new car buyers make. I get roughly 2,000-ish emails every month from new car buyers. It's a tsunami and it never ends. Like, apart from the ones that go, hey, can you get me this cheap? I get these emails like, I've bought the wrong car, what do I do? Or I've signed up for the wrong car and now I'm committed. Or I signed up for the right car on the spur of the moment. But I paid way over the odds and now I hate myself for the burden which I appear to have imposed upon my family. And actually, I spoke to a really nice lady in exactly this position just last week. And she wrote me this huge email, move over, war and peace. And on the phone, she was everything I'm not, right? She's demure and polite and sincere and pleasant and non-confrontational. And confrontingly enough, over all of this, she was on the brink of tears, right? In fact, she had actually saved about three grand. So that was a rare frown in these circumstances that just went upside down serendipitously. But hey, let's keep that between us because if you tell anyone, it'll get out and my reputation will be ruined. I'm John Cadogan from autoexpert.com.au and I get new cars cheap for buyers here in Australia. Website for that? Up there's there, or you can just click the card that sometimes appears in a kind of Where's Wally-esque way, just up there now, dude. This video is sponsored by Olight, which is exactly the kind of torch which God herself envisaged when she wrote Maxwell's equations down on paper for the very first time, just a few nanoseconds after the Big Bang. That's in the Bible, incidentally, and most theologians just gloss over it, but it's there. Big Olight sale from 8pm tonight, link in the description, details coming up, but just to prick tease momentarily, the swivel is back, yes, in orange this time, after selling out in green so fast last month, and so many of you missed out. Most practical work light Ever, just saying. Critical error number one, impulse buying. This is not a friggin' pair of shoes or a handbag, dude. You will be locked into this proposition for several years. Therefore, take the time to get it right. Do not let the bastards railroad you into premature contractulation. Nobody wants that. Unfortunately, the entire face-to-face -face architecture at the showroom is designed as an ambush, a coercive friggin' ambush. In this environment, all the clocks, just have a look up there, they're all frozen. It's bullshit o'clock, 24-7 in these places. You will be told self-serving, compelling-sounding reasons to buy now. And these reasons are invariably bullshit. 
They just don't want to see your ass and, of course, the beautiful money to which it is attached walking out the door, where, on the other side of which, you might encounter an even more articulate and persuasive bullshitter at another dealership who will extract your signature and a deposit, which is really all they want. That's the goal here. You come into browse, they want your signature, they want that deposit. Do a deal with yourself, dude. Separate research from buying. And it's like church and state. Do not jump from one to the other without going home first to consider. Never pay a deposit and sign a contract during the research phase of Operation New Car, regardless of what you are told in the moment. You know, this deal ends today. This is the last one at this special unbeatable price, guaranteed. The sales manager's going to cut off my nuts for agreeing to this, but you seem nice, so okay, you've got me. Dude, it's all bullshit. Do not get nudged onto the X. This is an ambush, and the X is the worst place because that's where all the shooting typically occurs. Inconveniently. Mistake number two. Many people fail to acknowledge that there are often up to three transactions on the table here. You could potentially be selling your old car, like trading it in, and buying finance, as well as buying the car of your dreams, obviously. And it's very easy to focus on car-o-dreams and let the other two transactions kind of attack from the rear. Obviously, the sales dude can give you a kick-ass deal on dream car if you unwittingly allow him to come up on your six with the other two and attack by stealth. So, if I were you, I would not start the transaction phase of Operation New Car without knowing exactly how much your old car is worth as a trade-in and without knowing exactly what kinds of finance deals you are eligible for. This is a critical error, okay? And I would square away the price on the new car before even talking a bit about the other two transactions. And here, you just have to be assertive, like, I haven't decided what to do with my current shit heap, my good man, and we can talk about finance later too, but for now, let us just focus on this new car kind of thing. The golden rules, okay? Because you've got the gold, so, you make the rules. Error number three, it's dead easy right now to hand your dealer a significant windfall by just undervaluing your trade-in through ignorance in the current market. And the short story there, okay? The car industry is reeling around the world right now because of a massive global computer chip shortage begetting a shortage of new cars. And it's hardly news. It's been going on for well over 12 months. Thus, used car prices are sky high right now. The shortage of brand new cars has pumped up demand in the used market, causing used cars to be at historically jacked up prices. So do not hand the dealer a significant profit effectively paid for by your ignorance of current market value. Of course, you can always get more cash by selling privately, right? The unique selling proposition of trade-ins is not the price. It's convenience. Price always takes a hit with a trade-in. But it is quite inconvenient selling privately, potentially. You know, all the no-shows and the incessant low-balling by 
would-be discount hunters. And let's not forget the pandemic and having all these strangers over to your home. And if you're a vulnerable person, like, I don't know, a granny who lives alone, it can be a significant security risk for you, effectively inviting hundred strangers back to your place via the internet. Like, what could possibly go wrong? I guess the third option here is selling direct to a wholesaler, okay, which is kind of what the dealer is likely to do with your used car anyway, unless it's an especially nice late model used vehicle. And price-wise on this, the wholesaler is going to be somewhere between the trade-in and the private sale, okay? You can do most of this online, however. You just fill in a form and send a few photos and a dude comes out to inspect the car to make sure that what you've claimed about it is what the reality of the car actually is. And if it is and you agree, they pick it up on a flatbed and they EFT you the funds. Piece of piss, dude, as Shakespeare said so famously. I set up this whole wholesaling thing for people all the time, okay? And it's really easy, much easier than selling privately, but you won't get as much cash. It's not as much of a rip-off typically as a trade-in, okay? And I don't want to hard sell you on this because that's why I'm not here today. I'm here so that you don't make fundamental mistakes. But if you are interested, you just go to the website, you click on the Save Thousands link. It's right up the top of the page. You fill in the form. You say you want to wholesale your old car. There's no obligation, and we will get back to you ASAP. Olight makes great flashlights. They're a big supporter of this channel, and they help make this kind of PSA content possible. And happily enough, the swivel is back. This thing is awesome. It's a USB-C rechargeable torch that's also a work light on an articulating magnetic base that's also a hook and a carabiner, and it's under 40 bucks during the sale. You can hang the swivel from almost anything and stick it to anything cast iron or carbon steel. If it's magnetic, it sticks. Or you can just sit it on the floor and point it wherever you want, hands-free. It's so helpful for roadside repair in the middle of the night. It's also a brilliant work light. I've stuck it on the side of the drill press and even onto the bandsaw right above the blade where the shadow projects the cut line down onto the work and makes setup a breeze. There's all these jobs around home and in the field where the swivel is a dead set game changer. Next up, the M2R Pro Warrior in white as a limited edition. And I know it's not as tactical as black, but it is dead easy to find a white one in the bottom of Yo bag. And for me, the M2R is a great torch. It's at the upper limit size-wise for EDC, but it fits in the hand and it's super bright. And the pocket clip is reversible for bezel up or bezel down carry, depending on what you prefer. The tail switch is brilliant in high stress situations, you know, vampires all around kind of thing, running low on wooden stakes. You've seen those movies. But it also has a side switch for lower intensity beam strength when you're doing fine work. M2R is great in the bag or on a belt. It's a bit big for the skinny jeans, frankly, but it's great in the hand. And lastly, the Pre-Run 2, which is great in the car and awesome on foot. The lens is oriented radially as opposed to longitudinally, so the ergonomics for walking around the joint in the dark are excellent. You don't have to flex your wrist endlessly to see the ground, right? You can even clip it to a backpack or a sling bag for hands-free use. 
And this thing converts to a head torch in seconds using the supplied elastic rig and inbuilt silicon harness. Big Olight Halloween sale, link in the description, kicks off at 8pm tonight and runs until midnight tomorrow. And after that, you will get yourself 10% off if you just use the code AEJC10. If you log in during purchase during the sale, you'll get a three, a three, and a free I3E, ODG, keychain, torch, get it right. I know it's a mouthful, but hey, trying to be a professional here. This is about 18 bucks in the domain of freebies, so that's not to be sneezed at, is it? And you can also buy that I3T in pink for just 22 bucks or thereabouts. All the proceeds of that pink torch sale will go to the Breast Cancer Foundation, so that's worthwhile. And the way I see this, you make yourself a 22 buck donation to breast cancer research nobody could possibly object to that and you also get a high quality pink torch in return and you can give it to that special tiffany in your life so in the context of you being a dead set good bloke twice albeit for just 22 bucks need to know Tiffany cannot therefore possibly complain about the acquisition of your new white zombie-slaying lightsaber and safety orange fat cave work light now, can she? Up here for thinking, dude, and uh, down there for, well, you know, recreation. Thanks, Olight. <laughs> Critical mistake number four. Say you buy the car and you've got finance and it's all a bit of a stretch fiscally. But hey, a car is an aspirational thing and you kind of like it, it makes you feel good. So that's nice. Then, sadly, one day, you make a tiny little mistake out there on the road and you crash. Or some cockhead with no assets and no insurance in a shitbox makes a similar mistake and liberaches you at the lights. Oops-a-daisy. I wish my brother George was here. You've got insurance, though, and you think, I'm okay. Unfortunately, if the finance up for which you signed without really paying that much attention has hefty early termination penalties built in, these could substantially erode the cash settlement that you get from the insurance company because the financier puts their hand out and gets paid all that they are owed first, and you get the dregs. That's how this works. These penalties could be several thousand bucks. So you can run that gauntlet in an informed way and cop it on the chin if it happens, or you can get so-called gap insurance to cover you for these kinds of losses related to those kinds of fees. It's completely up to you, but my advice would be just don't go into this arena kind of Ray Charles. Number five now, this is huge. People ask car salesmen for advice. Don't do that. Dude, if the dictionary were a picture book, there would be an image of you asking a car salesman for advice somewhere on the showroom floor. At bullshit o'clock, you're standing on the X with your trousers around your ankles. Target lock on the buttocks. Firing solution. You're asking advice, and the caption reads, Conflict of interest. But yet people do this all the time. Every time I mention this topic, okay, I get this flood of indignant emails. 
I turned down a job offer as president of the Benevolent Society because I just love selling cars to people in the most ethical possible way kind of thing. Not all car sales dudes are snakes. But how would you know? And they did earn a certain reputation historically, which has stuck for a good reason. It is a snake-dense vocation, and there are snake-friendly procedures in place. So this is a real risk for you. You could be exposing your bullseye-tattooed buttocks to a death adder. How would you know? The conflict is, you ask advice, okay? And let's say telling you the truth would lead you down the track of buying a completely different car. What is the sales dude to do? Tell the truth and lose the sale or just fib a bit and keep you on the hook. The other problem with asking advice, of course, even to car sales gandhi, is that it frames this person in a position of authority during your future dealing. And you really don't want that. You want to be on top because the view is better on top. You've got more control and it's more fun. I discussed this with Tiffany just this morning and she agreed emphatically. And don't take my word for it, she would know. Critical car buying error number six. There's no perfect car, okay? It doesn't exist. I see all these car buyers all the time caught in this endless runtime loop because their search for a new car keeps timing out because of this factor about car A and that factor about car B, etc. For as many cars as there are friggin' stars in the sky and grains of sand on the beach, right? If that's you, reframe your choice. Choose the car that's closest to dead right and decide just how critical its deficiencies are. Choose the car with the highest number of positive attributes and the lowest number of non-critical deficiencies. It's just like choosing a wife or a husband, I suppose, but I can't speak from a position of authority on that one. However, I have had six wives, so I know my shit there. Got the scars tiny, tiny little scars from the keyhole surgery. They all go in through the wallet. It's day surgery, but hey, painful. The point I'm making is live with the imperfections, dude. Love the things that you love about the new car and learn to tolerate the subcritical negatives. More on this at my other website, wifeexpert.com. I just bought that one from Al Bors. Number seven, people always overplay the test drive. They blow it out of all proportion. Test driving is almost irrelevant for most people. Now, I know, if you're a performance driving nutcase, buying the performance car of your dreams, different story, dude. Driving dynamics really matter to you and in this performance domain. But for everyone else, not so much. The driving dynamics bar is quite low. In other words, most cars are good enough. Let me give you an example, okay? Mainstream medium SUVs, Forester, CX-5, Tucson, Sportage. All direct competitors, all good vehicles. I'm a mechanical engineer, okay? I've been a motoring journalist since the friggin' 90s when there were still dinosaurs out there. We had saddles on them and rode them around. It was awesome. I've worked as a consultant on dynamics and 
setting up drive programs for new car launches. I used to do all of the track type handling tests for Wheels magazine before it went off and incinerated its credibility. I've driven thousands of new cars for three decades, from Ferraris and Porsches to Mitsubishi Mirages and Toyota Yarai. Those four medium SUVs I just mentioned, they all drive okay. Trust me on this. If you're an average punter, they're all quite okay on dynamics. Good, even. For most people, good is a pass on driving dynamics, and they all pass. It's not like the 70s, okay? Really, it's not. People place themselves under tremendous pressure during test drives, and then they allow that experience to be foundational in the selection of the car, and really, it shouldn't be. Unless you've done this for a living for several years, all you're going to experience during a test drive, at least on the dynamics front, is, well, this feels strange and I'm really quite challenged accommodating all of these strange and different control feedback responses. And then what that means is you're really not learning that much about the actual car and its dynamics. Which leads us to error number eight, and this is a mortal sin. You probably don't want to go to hell, so don't do this. Do not compare how well any new car drives, feels, smells, or sounds with your aging shitbox. Because guess what? New car's gonna feel substantially better, like a whole lot better. Hold the front page. New car feels better than old car with one million stale farts inside. Who knew? If your aging shitbox is the benchmark, every new car is going to feel impossibly excellent, and that's really not going to help. What you've got to do here is compare three or four new cars with each other. And do not do this over the next three weeks or something. Do it in a single day. Make a few calls. Set it all up. Four test drives, 90 minutes apart or something. And then six hours later, you will have had your buttocks and the rest of you, in four cars. And I'm not only talking about the test drive comparison here, I'm talking more holistically about experiencing four cars back to back, very important. Like, definitely go through the motions and drive around the block, but really spend time, significant time, sitting in the car and climbing all over it. If you're a young parent with young kids, get your pram and your cot and all of that other crap and jam it all in hard from behind. See if the car likes having that done to it over and over and over. Because that's exactly what you're going to do, right? And if you are a personal trainer or something, bring your instruments of torture and fit them all up and see how the floor copes with all of those kettlebells or whatever. Check the spare tyre. Is it a space saver or full size or does it have none? This might really matter to you if you plan on driving long distances in remote areas. Infotainment matters too. Does your phone hook up seamlessly to the infotainment system in that car? CarPlay and Android Auto. Is it plug-in in that car or wireless or completely absent and somehow bespoke, right? Can you get comfortable? This is huge, okay? You've got to sit there for a while to tell whether or not you can. How about the kids, right? Are they sitting down there in the back with their knees in their eyes? And even if they're not doing that now, will they be doing that in five or six years or something when they're teenagers? This stuff really matters. The pro tip on this, make notes. Six best things, 
Six worst things about each car. Keep records. And do not transact that day. Whatever you do, don't do it. No matter how coercive it gets, do not drop your trousers and expose your buttocks and get target lock. Go home and think about it. Discuss it calmly and rationally, objectively, with that significant other in your life, in the spirit of love and cooperation. And then, predictably enough, have a full-on friggin' Barney over it, followed by stony silence for a couple of days. This is how civilised people comport themselves. Number nine, we're nearly there. Be more flexible regarding the short list of acceptable cars, especially right now. The car industry is, as we say routinely here in Australia, rooted at the moment. Rooted, and not in a romantic sense. Waiting lists on some cars have spiralled, seemingly to the heat death of the universe. I'm looking at you, Kia Stinger, and others. There's upward pressure on prices, okay? Demand exceeds supply routinely. It's quite inconvenient, especially if your car was written off just last week and you need a replacement, stat. So, using the example earlier, okay? Forrester CX-5 Sportage Tucson. You might really want a Soul Red CX-5 Akira 2.5 Turbo because, I don't know, Jenny's husband bought her one of those and she's been gushing over it ever since or something. That car, for you, it could be six months away or nine or twelve, whatever. They might not be able to allocate a date. But the delivery horizon on one of the others could be significantly shorter. And they're all good cars with many more similarities than differences for most people. Or perhaps some enterprising dude who's a bit of a smart ass, but who does this for a living, perhaps he knows a dude who knows a dude who can get you a Graphite CX-5 GT next week. Would that be of interest? Like in the current market, it might pay for you to limber up just a little in the domain of what's acceptable and what's not. Grey versus red is a little too... Blondes versus brunettes for me, like... Colour is so friggin' epistemically subjective that it's really not worth the hot air debating. And I'd suggest you can probably live without the vibrating saxophone holder and the semi-articulated carrot waxer, which, if memory serves, is the salient difference between GT and Akira. Lastly, number 10, and thank you for hanging in there over this somewhat long report, the twin venial sins of brand allegiance and false authority. Brand allegiance first. If you've only ever bought Honda CRVs, for example, look around, dude. Honda was such a winner 20 years ago. But it's a basket case today. Sales are in free fall, and they could back out of Australia at any time. And if they do, resale value will plummet, and so will customer support. And those four SUVs, which I just mentioned, they are all objectively better than a CRV in critical areas. I don't have time to go into why that is so now, and that's not the purpose of this video, but they just are. So brand allegiance can hurt you because brands rise and fall all the time, whereas some people tend to be fairly inflexible on this, or at least the use-by date on the information underpinning these allegiances expired, in some cases, over a decade ago. Which leads me to false authority. It seems to me that everyone's an expert when they're buying the new car, right? They might not think about it for the next five years, but when they're in the market, they're an expert. And there's a lot of pressure to know, like really to know. 
And that's pretty difficult because most people, well, they like a good car. Everyone does. But they don't have the inclination every day to dive into the sewer and swim with the sharks, right? It takes a particular kind of character defect to want to do that day in and day out and come to terms with wasting what could otherwise have been quite a productive life doing so. The Honda thing I just spoke about, okay? Plenty of would-be experts are already saying in the comments, doubtless, nah, great cars, mate. To which I would say, yeah, that's true. They were great in the 1990s and the early 2000s, but not today. That information is out of date. And I also get a lot of emails from men who need to cross not one, but two bridges along this path of new car acquisition. Number one is obviously to select the best new car within the budget. And number two is to get that critical tick of approval from the wife or girlfriend before going ahead. Not to be a sexist bastard on this, and people do it differently, okay? But a lot of couples do it in this position, so to speak. And this is, of course, why women are so critical to the car buying process. It's because they often have this sole right of veto. And information there tends often to be fairly out of date also. I get emails like this all the time, and I'm paraphrasing, but they essentially say, I really want a Santa Fe, but the wife won't go for a Korean car. She wants me to buy a Pathfinder. What do I do? My solution on this kind of thing has always been take it slow, do a few test drives, then trade in and ultimately upgrade to a new wife with better features. You're welcome. Unhelpful, perhaps. The truth, okay, the financial crisis a decade and a half ago was a commercial springboard for the likes of Hyundai and Kia in the same way that it was a death sentence or at least a degenerative disease for the likes of Nissan and Honda. It took the South Koreans about eight or nine years to R&D their then-mediocre products into mainstream market-leading ones. And for the past five or six-ish years, their vehicles really have been outstanding. And this is objectively, defensively true. But perception always lags reality. And if you only ever think about this stuff once every five or six years when you engage with the process of buying a car, you can find yourself saying authoritative sounding things that might have been true 10 years ago or something, but which are today completely divorced from reality. I guess you have to purge the memory and research afresh every time you get going. And you have to be really brave, almost scientifically objective, to acknowledge that sometimes there are things you think you know, which really you do not. A kind of false, unknown, known proposition, at the risk of going a bit Rumsfeldian on you right at the very end. This could be a 50,000 buck roll of the dice or more for you, and that is hardly trivial. So I really do hope this helps and you get it right. Thank you very much for watching.